Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Morning, there, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. You survived the uh, rather stormy weather that moved through the Magnolia State. What you laughing about there? Oh, it's just it's the silliness of the weather that will be for the next week. That's true. It, uh, we had the crazy downpours that came and went last night with not hurricane force winds, but for for a part of the state that doesn't experience 50-mile-an-hour winds all that often, when the gusts got up, it got a little blustery. Weird. What's it looking like with respect to power outages last I saw? About I haven't 12, seen any so. major uh, incidents of like <clears throat> property damage, but yeah, that was the last number I saw. Yeah. 12,000 or so. Yeah. Mostly, I believe, in uh, the southern third of the state. Correct. Yeah. Which is where the winds were strongest. But, man, they were... That was something. Now, it really was. Um, but... And now of, we just have wind today with not a whole lot of chance of rain. And then this time next week, we'll all be waking up to Arctic chill. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about snow and the accumulation thereof. Next week. I, I don't know about the accumulation. Like the, the weatherman's saying two inches of the white stuff on Monday, Monday afternoon specifically for central Mississippi. Gee whiz. But when you look at the temperature for that day, it starts up around 50 and then just steady, steadily gets cooler until that afternoon. It's the perfect temperature for snow. Well, the only problem is the ground and all the asphalt and concrete and everything else won't have cooled off as quickly. So uh, you might have some snow on grassy surfaces, but I don't think it's going to be too much to worry about, except that that trend of decreasing temperatures continues all through the night, and that next morning we'll all wake up, like here in central Mississippi, the the wind chill is expected to be negative 7. Huh? Negative? Single-digit lows with wind chills in the negatives. Well, that would indicate that a polar vortex... Something like headed that. Headed south, isn't that what they say? Wow. Well, it's um, the winds were rather strong, and they're brisk this morning, which uh, certainly intensifies the chilly air because it's blowing all over you. I found the walk from the parking lot in through the breezeway there to be uh, 
not too much fun, honestly. It was cold. A bit biting. Yeah, that's the way to put it. Well, but uh, we're here safe and sound in the Element Well studio. We've got uh, State Senator Scott Delano joining us at 11.05. We'll get the Senator's thoughts on the legislative session that is upon us, the issues on which the Senator is focused, and, of course, it's Inauguration Day for the governor. Governor Tate Reeves will be sworn in today down there at the Capitol. I think. Fingers crossed he doesn't have as much to handle in his first couple of months of uh, this term. Yeah, especially from a natural disaster perspective, right? We had floods, tornadoes, COVID, etc. going on. So I agree with you on that. Let's focus on stuff that uh, moves our state forward rather than emergency-type situations that you got to address as the governor, but they do consume lots of cycles. Um, and then we've got Ashley Edwards at 12.05, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, also a Super Talk Mississippi News column contributor. We'll get Mr. Edwards' uh, thoughts on the governor's inauguration, the legislative session, and you know what else is going on? It's presidential election year. Man, the sparks are a flying. Uh, that is for sure. The first Republican caucus set in the great state of Iowa less than a week. It comes next Monday. Now, here's the thing, Rhino. It's been cold and blustery up there in Iowa. And uh, Vivek Ramaswamy actually had an SUV in his little motorcade. I don't know if it's the one he was riding in or not. He's traversing the state, of course, conducting town halls. And they got stuck. And he was out there helping them push it <laughs> and uh, was talking about it. Said, you know, the snow's not going to slow them down. They intend to keep all their appointments Nikki Haley and he are, they're really going at it as well. Uh, I saw this morning, I think, that she had an event that... Um, she had to cancel. Had to cancel due to no-shows. But it you know, it's hard to say whether or not that was weather-related. I mean, the, the footage of the event space was uh, barren. Yeah, that's a good way there to put it. Nobody, nobody there. there. Yeah, I know. So uh, they're attributing it, of course, to the weather. Now, there's no doubt. There's like a semi-blizzard going on up there in Iowa. But, yeah, the Midwest heading into the Northeast. Yes, exactly. But here's the deal. Next Monday, how will this affect caucus goers? Because the weather in Iowa, you know what it's supposed to be here. You just told us about it. Below zero wind chills. We'll go about four states to the north, and what does it look like? It's pretty serious in the upper Midwest, and, of course, the Midwest, as Iowa sits. You know, you got to think that'll play a role, perhaps, in turnout. I think it will. So we'll see um, what happens there in Iowa. And then on to New Hampshire. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think Ron DeSantis is out after next week. I don't know that it's really going out on a limb at this point. Probably not. Nikki Haley stays in. I was going to say the question is whether or not Nikki Haley's still in it. Well, I think she stays in because next is New Hampshire, and the governor of New Hampshire has endorsed her. Now, in the meantime... Maybe the only reason she stays in. I think so. In the meantime, Vivek Ramaswamy says he's in, and... 
He said there's going to be, I think his term was bombshell outcome. He just says that he's, you know, he's on the streets and on the ground, in the grassroots, all that sort of political speak. Well, you've seen one of the ways he's ensured people show up for his events. What's that? Anytime he schedules an event at or near a college, yeah, it's a free speech, free drinks event. <laughs> I love you it. You get a free beer for showing up. You mean that'll get, that'll get people out? Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> well, uh, it's fun for us to watch it. Meanwhile, the president, the ex-president, Donald Trump, he's in court today. He is in court today about this immunity situation. And uh, that's a complicated matter, for sure. But that's uh, that's what he's scheduled to do, is appear there uh, in court. I believe this is in uh, D.C., uh, right, and he's uh, so he's he's dealing with this Jack Smith guy and trying to move this stuff forward and and just get the deal out of the way so he can focus on <coughs> campaigning. But we'll see. That's that's what's on the that's what's on the docket for him. You've also got that um, in Iowa. I was a little surprised. You got. A couple of rather staunch conservatives in Representative Thomas Massey and GOP Congressman Chip Roy, they are both endorsing Ron DeSantis. I mean, they're essentially surrogates for Ron DeSantis, and they are predicting that there's going to be a massive surge, that's the quote, for DeSantis in Iowa. And that, uh, this is what Chip Roy said, it really is interesting, and people are engaging in and focusing, not just listening to the noise, and not just listening to the polls. The governor was at a massive church service in Des Moines, had 2,000 people, he's been doing event after event, so it's fun to watch uh, all these folks, And, and you know, it's, they all should appropriately predict that they're going to prevail. Yes, you you run to win, and so there. I mean, you're pretty much guaranteed to lose if you hem and haul. I don't know if I'm going to win. Yeah, I mean, just that's not the proper approach, and and so. Although there are varying degrees of confidence with which you should say it, that's if right. you come across as overconfident, that's also damaging to your chances. No, I agree. You you've got to kind of measure and calculate. You got to thread the needle there. Yeah, that's no doubt, but. Chip Roy, he was fairly critical of the former president. Uh, And he says, you know, Governor DeSantis isn't a never-Trumper. He just believes that we needed to actually finish the things that the former president started and promised. And we'll share that on the other side of the break, along with a bunch of state political news as well. We got uh, a whole show left. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, you don't need to get your microscopic violin out just yet, but Tiger Woods is split up with Nike. You see that? No longer a Nike athlete. He started that uh, when he became a professional in 1996. He was under a 10-year contract that was inked in 2013, 96 carried him through or through cycles of negotiated renewals of the contract. The one he's under right now, 10 years, 13 through 23, he's out. They are not providing a reason for the split, but there are lots of rumors, of course. There are. He's 48. Gosh, it's hard for me to believe he's 48. I mean, you just look at his... On-course productivity in 2013 compared to 2023. Yeah. You can kind of guess from there why they wouldn't renew a big-dollar contract. Well, I don't want you to fret over it. He uh, he took home a cool $500 million from Nike. That's what Just they paid. Just a half a billion? Yeah. He has an estimated net worth of $1.1 billion. And that, of course, is in great part due to the various endorsements that he received, and plus his tournament winnings. But those kind of pale in comparison, honestly, to the endorsements. So it's another situation, though, is it not? Where where are the outcries from the left on this this wealth inequality? How could this guy be worth $1.1 billion? All he does is play golf. You see what I mean? You, you know, my question is: Is he going to sign with someone else now, or is he going to start his own brand? I don't know. It's a good question. It's a, and he's had because he certainly got the name recognition, and you you have previous historical examples of golfers with their own brand, and some of them even doing rather well with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly certain Greg Norman's made more money from his brand than he ever did playing golf. That's absolutely true. The Greg Norman, the uh, the Shark brand, absolutely. And that T.W. Tiger Woods logo is it's big, just as, if not more, iconic than a shark. I would agree. No doubt. And don't forget, you got a couple of big-time NBA stars that made some coin from Nike. Michael Jordan. <laughs> the Jumpman brand. Yep, and LeBron James. Both did pretty well. Ten-figure fortunes belong to each of those professional athletes. And and there, I guess, and that he, all really started with Michael Jordan. That's absolutely true. He was the first time you had a an athlete where the name recognition was great enough for a for an individual athlete to garner such attention from. And Nike was groundbreaking with that. Yep by by signing him to a deal and and focusing on the on the brand or focusing the brand on him. Yeah. And and did an and excellent job of that. that. 
there's a, a famous quote by Michael Jordan that uh, we kind of used to toss around in the old business days that that I've used in, in my coaching of, of youth sports. A loss is not a failure until it becomes an excuse. That's for Michael Jordan. And if you've ever dug into his story about, you know, not making the team when he was in high school and so forth, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's incredible. He is a person that would be good to emulate in terms of how to achieve success and how to reach your maximum potential. But I, I've always thought... There's also a great cautionary tale of the dangers of gambling. There's no doubt about it. He would tell you that. No doubt. No doubt about it. But anyhow, I, I'm not uh, I'm not crying about the Tiger from a financial perspective, but it's hard for me to believe it's been that long. I I, um, I I will share that I was blessed to be at Augusta when he won his first, 1997. 1997, when he strolled up the 18th, his father was still alive and there, and such an emotional moment. Wow. Incredible. Uh, never forget that. Um, well, I, I sent you some video. I, I hope you can find it. I thought <laughs> it was appropriate relative to our MIA, <laughs> our MIA Secretary of Defense. Now, this from a program I remember well, it wasn't my childhood, but it was something I just thought was kind of cute and fun to watch. Here we go. Where in the world is the Secretary of Defense? <laughs> that, of course, from Rockapella, who sang the theme song, Where in the World? Play it again, please. China, tell me where in the world is Carbon San Diego. Steve- <laughs> Where's our Secretary of Defense? <laughs> I just, that's the first thing that hit me. I mean, the guy's missing in action. If this does not illustrate the sheer incompetence of this administration, it's like he didn't think to tell his boss and his boss didn't think to figure out, or why are they talking like every day? And I think I saw where the Secretary of Defense in the cabinet of course, a member of the cabinet, sixth in line for the presidency. When you start going through the... And the next step down the, under him didn't find out until everybody exactly. else did. It's just like there wasn't on? even somebody covering for him. Jeez. I mean, this is a story that's unfolding. There's some in Congress that are calling for his impeachment for essentially just... I mean, I've heard of jobs. I've worked in jobs where as long as you work it out and there's a warm body in your spot for your shift, you're okay. And sometimes management might not not even have to be involved as long as there is somebody there to do what you're supposed to do even though you can't be there. Yeah. I don't think those rules apply to cabinet positions. That's exactly right. This just seemed like pretty standard protocol. I mean... You wouldn't do that here if for some reason you had you had to go out and take care of a medical problem. You pretty much let somebody know <laughs> that people that needed to know. That's that's pretty common practice. P- 
public or private sector. But your number two person, in that case, where you essentially report to the president. So you got a lot more people in the org chart below you than you do above you. But you should be working hand in hand, in this case with your number two person. You would have thought, hey, I'm going to the hospital here. I don't get it. I really don't. And a lot of people are scratching their head. There are no answers. We don't know what the illness was. It was an elective surgery, and apparently he started feeling poorly a few days after the surgery. He was released from the hospital, and he ended up riding back to the hospital in an ambulance. And spent time in the ICU. In the ICU, which means he's obviously during those periods unable to discharge his responsibilities. He's just the Secretary of Defense, so, I mean, and it's not like there's any hot spots around the world. No. It's amazing. It totally is. And it's, I think it's another, it exposes the fact that, unfortunately, we have a president who's just oblivious. And that's not good. So, and I, I will say this, I'll contrast that to the prior president, who I think, having come from the private sector, it was not unusual for him to be working all hours of the night and day and weekends and holidays. And you've heard many in his uh, on his staff, including his cabinet members, that talk about um, receiving communications from him during those periods of time where it's nor- not normal business hours, where he would be searching for information or need to talk to somebody. That that's what a chief executive does. It's certainly what the president ought to be doing. I mean, it's honestly, I don't see how you could ever sleep ever if you've got that kind of awesome responsibility you, you would just gosh how do you how do you go to bed thinking okay i put in a good day's work today i get up and do it again tomorrow I, I mean i know you have to train yourself to do that but when you think about the myriad of concerns and challenges and projects and i mean everything else going on uh policy legislation personnel organizational Security, safety, it's unbelievable. Which is why you got to have an incredible staff, of course. But still, you, as the chief executive, you feel responsible for all of it. You should. That's your job. That's what you signed up for. Sounds like they finally found the, um, the door plug from the Alaska Airlines jet. You guys know about that story, the Boeing 737. We'll dig into that a little bit and also talk about more about Speaker of the House Mike Johnson and his spending plans aren't being taken too positively from a lot of the members of his house. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. FM. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. 
Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The markets after finishing in the green yesterday are now giving back some of those gains. The Dow down 218, the NASDAQ. It has paired some of its losses, was uh, down over 100 points earlier, down only 15 now. So a little profit-taking going on. Also, there is a prediction from the oil and gas industry that we've got a possible oversupply situation. Saudi Arabia is reporting that demand uh, is down somewhat due to global economic conditions. And uh, there's this feeling that we may see further decreases in the price of oil, which would translate to lower prices at the gas pump. We shall see. Something, however, that is an indicator of a coming sluggish economy. A lot of folks are saying Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, CEO says he expects a recession, a so-called hard landing. Others are predicting a soft landing, meaning an economic contraction, but not a serious recession. Usually, folks associate a recession with massive job losses. And that's what hasn't happened, even in spite of the fact that the Fed is, has uh, applied 11 rate hikes which were thought to be a way to, of course, rein in inflation. And that has worked. I mean, it's hard to say whether that specifically is the reason that inflation is uh, is still on the rise. I mean, the price of stuff still going up. This is a thing that the president and his, his spokespeople fail to point out to the American people. The fact that the rate of inflation is down does not mean that the price of what we buy every day has come down. It just means it's not rising as fast. There's a clear difference. So that's going to figure in for sure into the presidential election. We got some ZZ Top tickets to give away later on in the program. They're coming to the Brandon Amphitheater on March the 20th of this year. By the way, uh, speaking of these professional athletes and the dough they bring down. There's been a a bit of fodder, shall we say, between Mark Cuban, you know who he is, owns the Dallas Mavericks, a billionaire, and Elon Musk, and now a couple of others have weighed in. So Mr. Cuban basically says that this, uh, this DEI movement in incorporating uh, DEI in a corporate setting is good for the company. He said, you should make sure your organization, quote, reflects the entire country in terms of arbitrary skin colors. Your goal cannot also be to hire the best candidate. That's the problem. And he's more focused on achieving, like all these companies are, racial quotas than they are the best for various jobs. And Cuban, he lashed out at 
Elon Musk when Elon Musk said something to the effect, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some short white guys on your basketball team suiting up for the Mavericks. And he, he uh, tweeted back, did Mr. Cuban, you assume that companies are hiring less qualified candidates. This is where you and others like you go wrong. There's zero evidence of that. If I remember correctly, there was a reference in his video that Mr. Cuban created referencing the expanding candidate pool. Well, oh, that assumes that there are companies out there that are deliberately excluding certain candidates from consideration simply because of their physical attributes. I don't know anybody that does that. I just don't. I, I've, I have, in my decades of private sector experience, which included hiring people, we never did that. I don't know anybody that did. We were just looking for the best, period, in the story. But now we have to have all these concerted efforts and quotas, um, and, you know, we measure all that. We hold it up like it's some huge achievement, like it's a trophy. Look at me. So it turns out, however, <laughs> somebody took Mr. Musk, uh, pardon me, Mr. Cuban, Mr. Cuban to task on Twitter, some guy named Mike Benz. And he says, he, he shows side-by-side photos, Rhino, of the Mavericks starting lineup and the board for his new health care company. Clearly, in the Mavericks starting lineup, zero Asians on his basketball team. On his company board, zero black people. What's up with that? Where, where, is, where is the action to match all this DEI rhetoric? You're not putting it into practice. I mean, is Elon Musk wrong for suggesting that to Cuban? That, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing... You know, short white people and Asians on your basketball team. I'm sure that'll go over well. And maybe in outfitting the board for his company, it just worked out that way. That those who were best suited to serve on those board positions just don't happen to include any particular people of color. So what? Doesn't mean they got excluded from consideration. Yeah, exactly what Elon said, just to quote it. Cool. So when should we expect to see a short white slash Asian women on the maps? (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. On the C Spire text line, Converse, yeah, Converse uh, tennis shoes, Chuck Taylors, yep. Maybe Secretary of State Austin figured that if uh, Pete Buttigieg could take two weeks maternity leave, he could surely take five days hospital stay, says Robert Brandon. Yeah, but you got to tell somebody, though, Robert. That's the difference. At least Buttigieg did tell him. No, he didn't. He just disappeared. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I, this is now the second cabinet well, position that's just disappeared and didn't, didn't figure they needed to tell anybody. Okay, well, then how did we find out about it? I mean, why didn't we put more emphasis on the fact that he didn't tell anybody? I was under the impression he did. Was it not the same time? you had the horrible spill in Ohio? I think it was. I Everybody's think like, right. well, where's Buttigieg? Yeah. Oh, he's wait, on he's the, on maternity leave. But, okay. So, but you're saying, I mean, is there no process at the federal government at the cabinet level to schedule PTO, as we say? What company doesn't have that? What organization doesn't have a simple process for that? The kind that's run by incompetent fools. I see. Well, that pretty much describes the one we have in Washington. 
Nike is not making golf clubs anymore and other golf products. That's the main reason for the breakup on the ceasefire text line. That could be true. They don't make golf balls anymore. I'm, a- I'm asking a question. I don't know. I never really use Nike golf balls. Um, but, yeah, I thought shoes, clothes, and stuff. Maybe right. Okay. It could. I mean, there's no explanation for the breakup. It's just news because it was such a huge contract and he was such an iconic figure. I don't think anybody at Nike would would deny or, or attempt to dispute that he was pretty good for their business. How could you say that? I mean, I mean the, even if there was some sort of animosity between the two parties, the forward-facing image they're giving is that it's just an amicable, amicable breakup. Yeah, and that's fine. It's just news because of the the size and scope and and just the fame of the of the of the party here, the the athlete, and of course the company as well. So fun with that. So. Uh, President Trump, by the way, is on the screen right now. He's speaking to reporters after this immunity hearing. He claims, of course, as president, he has immunity from any action that is being pursued against him vis-a-vis the January 6th situation. I'm not sure what he's saying, uh, but it's happening live right now. I'm sure we'll start seeing some reports on that. (laughs) Something he said yesterday that I thought was really interesting Um. This was in an interview. He says he predicts the U.S. economy will crash, does the former president, and that he hopes it does within the next 12 months. He hopes it does. And he says that, he says, uh, quote, and when there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during the next 12 months because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. The one president I just want to be, Herbert Hoover. That's what he said. That's uh, fascinating. He said, we have an, an economy that's so fragile, and the only reason it's running now is it's running off the fumes of what we did. It's just running off the fumes. Man. So when we come back, I'm going to dig into this suspending uh, federal spending situation and Speaker of the House Mike Johnson who is under fire from his own party on this deal he negotiated stay with us come on come on middays with Gerard Gibbert alright we are back on Super Talk Mississippi earlier that president is addressing the news media this is after he appeared in court uh, appealing there in court that he is entitled to presidential immunity with respect to this dc er- hearing says he did nothing wrong etc uh, that of course has been his his contention and that of his lawyers and he says you know a president has to have immunity from stuff like this 
That's the point they're making there. So this is unprecedented as far as I know in our history and certainly interesting to just watch it all uh, unfold. But it certainly is. Let's see here. Um, yeah, we we need to tell you, of course, if you're not – if you're tuned in, trying to tune in to us in Hattiesburg, obviously you're not hearing us, so you're not going to hear this announcement. But we know we got a transmitter down, right, in the Hattiesburg area. But uh, tell you – Technically, it's the exciter. Okay. And which is a part of it. Engineers are en route with replacement parts to – to uh, remedy the situation. In the meantime, of course, you know, you can catch us on the app or live at our full-size uh, website, of course, uh, C Spire TV as well. Pass that on to friends and family if they're asking, can't pick up Super Talk in that area. So um, not sure, but it's uh, not unusual for equipment like that to go on the fritz, but our folks are out there on it right now. Uh, Mo says Nike's probably dropping Tiger to make room for a trans-Muslim illegal alien. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about this this plug, this door plug found. And now you've probably seen the reports that once inspections were ordered on uh, the same category model of aircraft, they found some some loose bolts, screws in some of them, and so they've been grounded. And, you know, I, I I hate to try to connect the dots here, but I'll just point out, if you look at Boeing, the manufacturer of these commercial airliners, they're a pretty woke group. I know a lot of people think, you know, usually about Bud Light comes to mind, Target, Disney, I think a lot of folks aren't aware that it's every major company. You you can't find one that doesn't have a massive, sprawling DEI department and who hasn't been engaged in applying policy that is DEI-driven and rooted in the twisted ideology. Remember here on the program, DEI stands for discrimination, exclusion, and inequity. Well, it turns out Boeing's like in the top ten in terms of investments in DEI. Now, another report I saw, Rhino, said an astonishing 93% of the people they hired in the last two years were DEI hires, if you will. 93%. Meaning... We didn't hire that person because they were necessarily the most qualified. They could have been for the role, for the job. Statistically unlikely. Right. No, rather we hired them because they checked all the various boxes of immutable physical characteristics. Now, I would say that some of these characteristics are not necessarily immutable, like how you identify crap gender-wise and stuff like that. But does it not make you stop and think? I mean, it's a discussion we've had, and our audience has weighed in quite a bit. I don't really care. I just want the best surgeon, the best pilot, the best warrior, whatever the case may be. In this case, you want the best person building an airplane on the assembly line there. 
But when you go out of your way, Boeing, and you invest and you adopt policy that essentially instructs managers who hire people, and in some cases we've seen reports, I think it was American Express, you get bonuses based on, as a manager, based on promoting people from minority groups. You get a your bonus. Well, so what do you think is going to happen if money's on the line? That's their way to ensure that they can go back to the market because they think that resonates positively and say, look at us. We're virtuous. We're noble. We care. We're, we're atoning for all these past sins. And, of course, at the time, it was more about all driven by that one incident with George Floyd if you didn't catch this a couple of weeks ago, there's been some revelations on that. I don't think we're over that I think revealed even lots more stuff that wasn't considered in the trial there. But it's time for a break, and uh, in fact, it's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. When we return, it's Senator Scott Delano. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays. We are live from the Element Well studio. Once again, we got tickets to give out later on in the program, right, Rhino, to uh, the ZZ Top That's correct. concert. They are coming to the Brandon Amphitheater on March the 20th, I believe, is the date. Looking forward to that. But right now, we are pleased to, to welcome uh, to midday Senator Scott Delano. He represents District 50, which incorporates Harrison County. Uh, we don't really know what you're going to do from a committee perspective of this cycle, but good to see you, Senator. Thanks for coming on. Good to see you. God, glad to be here. So we got uh, an inauguration going on today. You were just telling me that the weather is a bit uh, blustery out there. I experienced the same in my short walk uh, from the parking lot. Yeah, when Cammie called me last week to see if I could do this this time slot, I was like, yeah, no, no, no problem. Didn't <laughs> think anything about it. And I was a little fretting it a little bit over the weekend going, man, I'm going to miss the inauguration. Yeah. But i got to send her like a thank you card <laughs> or something. It is it is brutally cold out there. Yeah. It's uh, you never know, you know, in, in our inauguration, of course, uh, in January like this, it's hit and miss on the weather. We had uh, stormy weather move through, and of course now we got the air conditioner turned on behind it. Um, what about in Harrison County, your area? What sort of damage was incurred, if any? Yeah, I, I think we had some storms that came through after midnight last night, or maybe right before midnight, and then another group that came through later in the uh, later in the early morning hours yeah Uh, from what i've understood we've had a couple of extremely high straight line winds or maybe some small tornadoes uh, that came through but nothing huge Um, just seeing some reports of of hail in western part of harrison county okay yeah we we have seen reports of power outages kind of the uh the the main consequence and hopefully the 
power companies are busy restoring. You know they are. They, they're pretty good about that. They do a great job for yep, that. Sure do. Okay, so we, uh, we're we just a week in here to the legislative uh, session. And, of course, this is the first of a new four-year term. So, theoretically, you guys may be there four months uh, this, this year. And uh, a lot of issues will certainly be deliberated and uh, considered. Um, what are you thinking about? What's kind of on your radar? Well, I'll tell you what. There's a couple of things uh, that I've been working on over a number of years. Uh, the first thing that I want to mention is that you know we had a, a law enforcement officer that was killed in line of duty on That's the right. coast. Thank um, you. One of the things that we've been working on over the past couple of years is some death benefits language or improving death benefits for fallen first responders. Um, one of the big things that we that we were able to pass a couple of years ago was the blackout tag, the blackout okay. car tags. They were personalized tags, vanity plates that people could pay extra money for um, almost all of the proceeds of the I think it's thirty eight dollars and twenty five cents that mm-hmm. goes to uh, goes or that is that is a cost for that blackout tag goes directly to the death benefits fund I think it's only about seventy five cents or a dollar uh, that stays at the local level for that um, this past year in twenty twenty three we legislative session we passed another bill that allowed for um, just normal tags, regular issue tags, to be uh, provided in a blackout option. It's still the thirty eight dollars and twenty five cents uh, premium cost for that. Okay. But again, that's a way for people to be able to show their support for law enforcement for local law enforcement officers. Um, I, what I expect this current year in this current legislative session. You know, we, there's something that continually pops up when we have these unfortunate events where law enforcement officers are killed in the line of duty. There are needs for the immediate family that uh, these death benefits that the state provides will not be able to cover because of the paperwork that's required. Okay. What I would like to see is about $15,000 or up to $15,000 to be immediately paid to the family of uh, fallen law enforcement officers uh, to help pick up some funeral expenses and to help that little cash crunch that uh, that they are having to incur in those just unbelievably um, bad times that they have to address. And okay. That's just something that we're trying to work through, trying to give the commissioner uh, the, the opportunity to, to go ahead and make that payment quickly uh, and then get make sure that all the paperwork's done on the backside of okay. it. Okay. Well, that that's something that makes sense. I mean, totally. Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we're sorry to see. Uh, that unfortunate incident, tragic, and um, shouldn't happen. Yeah, any time that that happens, um, it's 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 a tragic for our for our state and for every law enforcement officer and family um, that in our state. So we're trying to do everything we can to to provide additional support for them. Yeah. So tell the audience, uh, Senator, about uh, your your committee assignments in the in the last term and kind of what you think may happen. Uh, in this one, with respect to you, what are you, what are you uh, requesting there? Well, so this past year, of, or this past term, I was the chairman of the Technology Committee, vice chair of Military Affairs. I was also on gaming, uh, insurance, uh, ports and harbors, marine, and uh, environmental quality, as well as education. Um, and I served on the Appropriations Committee. I really enjoy the Appropriations Committee, and for the past 14 years I've served on that committee, and I've been very thankful to, to have that opportunity. I enjoy learning as much as I can. Okay. And this in this upcoming 
term. I have no idea what committee assignments are going to look like. But I did request a significant change uh, in my assignments because I like to learn and I want to learn more about it. So I have no idea. The other thing is, is that we had a group of freshmen that came up in the last term that they need to be placed in a chairman's position. Uh, they need to have a leadership ro- role to grow um, their knowledge of or institutional knowledge of how state government works and makes us all a better body. And I would okay. I would personally um, even give up some of my uh, more prominent uh, committee assignments for those freshmen to have that opportunity to learn. Okay, because no matter what I'm what I'm passionate about, no matter what committee that I'm that I'm on, I'm going to be able to insert myself into a committee meeting or at least influence that sure. process with my colleagues. Now, to be clear, you're talking about freshmen that came in in 19. In 19, right? yeah. yes, in that prior term, we had some incredible 20. You know, yeah, yeah. And we elected in 19. A an incredible group that came up um, with us, and they need. I think it's very important for them to have okay. uh, good quality chairmanships, and and if I can, if I can, if I can help them in that in those manners, I've told the lieutenant governor's office that I'll be glad to do that. Now you know that one of the things the uh, lieutenant governor was under fire about in the campaign was the appointment of Democrats to to chair uh, some of those uh, committees. Uh, of course, one of the challenges is we got more committees than we got Republicans. We had 52 total uh, in the chamber. I think we had 36 Republicans in the last cycle. But uh, is, I want to say we have like 46 committees or something in that uh, neighborhood, correct. right? Mm-hmm. So um, you would end up having to appoint a Republican as the chair of multiple committees if you excluded Democrats from serving as committee chair. Uh, you, you got any thoughts about that? Yeah, a lot of that was, was really political rhetoric yeah you heard i mean you just laid it out pretty pretty well um we have more committees than than republicans obviously and then um there's also some very good institutional knowledge that is gained from having um certain people whether they're democrats or republicans in chairmanships for important committees like public health, there's probably nobody better in the state of Mississippi than Chairman Tom Brown. Yeah, I would agree. And don't always agree with him. That's but, exactly yeah. right. But the other thing is, is that a good legislator who is a chairman just manages the committee that they work on, and they do a good job of doing that. We have a lot of respect for even, you know, Chairman David Blunt um, got a lot of pushback from my in my district for Chairman Blunt of the Gaming Committee. Um, being a Democrat, but David Blunt did a really good job. He does a really good job as a chairman, and I was—I had his back for everything, everything that the, that the committee did. Uh, I think he did it with professionalism, class, and he had tried to address all the issues. Okay. And I couldn't be more proud to have him as a chairman. Okay. So, it likely we'll see some Democrats. Probably, if if uh, the, the prior term was any indication, is is to. Uh, the approach of uh, the lieutenant governor may see uh, same thing. We'll have uh, Democrats chairing committees. I think it's it's just it's in it's inevitable. I, there may be some shifting around. I would expect there to be some kind of shift around. But like we had in last session, I don't think that there was. I uh, know that there was no committee that had less than a majority of Republicans yeah, on the on which the is committee. what you would expect, and exactly. that's the main thing to yeah. either ensure that good stuff gets through or bad stuff done. 
I mean, that's the bottom line. Sure. Okay, so we got, uh, and when are you expecting the announcement on that? Late next week, perhaps? You know, the chatter is, is that it could be late this week. Okay. And, and, And we all would like to see deadlines moved up so that we could get out of session a little bit early. Um, I think that I heard the speaker say something about April the 15th. I know that the lieutenant governor has said something around those times. For that to occur, we would have to suspend the rules and move all of the um, deadlines forward, and we would not be able to do that until the House and the Senate go ahead and make their committee announcements and stuff. Okay. We're up against a break. Uh, you can hang around, sure. can't you? we got Senator Scott Delano, and we'll uh, dig into some of the policy issues and get your take on that. We're in the Element Well studio, folks. We're coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite on Super Talk Mississippi. See in the Sunshine Band, what's that, 78, 79, something like that, Rhino? Appreciate that. Little 75. Oh, wow. I'm way off on that one. Jeez. I think I think it was popularized after it was released, I would say. We're talking to Senator Scott Delano from Harrison County. All right, so we, we went over kind of your expectations with respect to getting uh, the announcement of committee assignments and how that structure may work, and uh, we've got a, a, a new committee that's been announced. Don't know a whole lot about it, but uh, it apparently its function is to try to streamline government operations and just improve overall efficiencies, something you and I have talked about um, in the past, uh, serving on the uh, technology uh, as chair of the technology committee. Of course, that involves working with Information Technology Services, ITS, which, by the way, I want to say in my 30 years of dealing with them, do a great job. They're phenomenal people, honestly. And uh, and the task they have is a difficult one. But in general, they're responsible for, as you well know, but for the benefit of our audience, uh, establishing standards, IT standards uh, for state agencies, the public sector IT framework, as well as procurement, certainly at the agency uh, level. Um, and the, the entire procurement process, it's separate from the, the basic state, the standard state procurement process, and it needs to be because of just its nature. But something that, um, Senator, I've shared with you that I've been crusading on for a while, and I'll bring it up again, is we have these ancient statutes that allow the procurement of certain defined so-called personal services without competitive bid. 
Mm-hmm. And while I don't think that gets abused a great deal at the state level, it, it does in certain cases. And all it means for the benefit of the audience is you can hire lawyers, accountants, engineers, um, uh, insurance, procure insurance, and there's some other services that are incorporated there without competitive bidding. I just want to buy it from them. Yep. Where it gets abused the most is at the county and municipal level. Anybody here that's ever attended a board of supervisors meeting, you'll witness it almost on a regular basis. Hey, I, I recommend a supervisor will say, we hire so-and-so to be our lawyer. All in favor, say aye. And there's no competitive bidding. There's no vetting. There's no competition involved in that. We just don't seem to be able to overturn and repeal those ancient statutes. Yeah, and I'll say this, that um, you know I deal with it from the technology side, or I have over the past eight years dealt with it on the technology side and uh, with ITS and in the appropriations. And I do see some of the things that happen at the local level. Um, you know, the legislature in general does not want to go and put a thumb on the county and the local level. Sure. I do believe that there should be more accountability and more oversight or maybe additional audit um, processes that would um, that would provide some protection for taxpayer dollars. But as you were pointing out in the first part of your of your comments there, we have so many things that need to be changed at the state level to help monitor monitor modernize yep. um, our delivery of services. Yeah. And when we do that, and you're, we're talking about technology, technology is evolving so quickly, there's no way the state government can stay involved or stay ahead of the curve. We hope that we can just just go along and, and, and try to protect the taxpayer dollars and our data as much as possible. Totally agree. And uh, that's something that we've continued to work on. Uh, software as a service is something that is uh, that is very that's that's new for state agencies, and we don't have a line item in our budget to show what contractual services really look like. And is the SAS or SI or yeah. software for uh, services? Yep. If that is considered professional services how do we count you know how do we how do we really budget for that and how yeah. do we really look at it so our new accounting software magic needs yep. to be updated we need to do some it's updates old. and some refresh <laughs> and, and and I'll tell you, you you that has to come from the executive branch the legislature and the legislative branch they have a role in in guiding policy and developing policy but implementing policy and making sure that that, that it is done in a way um, that is is most efficient can only be handled through the executive branch. Okay. So you have to have strong leadership from the from the governor's office down uh, to see that be done. And ITS has done a great job, and their board has done a incredible job Agree. with trying to look over things. Uh, but I also sit in on their board as an advisory member, and okay. I see what they go through, and I look at the procurements that come every single month before them. And there are some things that you just scratch your head about and say, how come we haven't addressed this two years ago when you started this this procurement process? And why didn't we have the board make sure that that what the agency was coming forward with at in, in two years of time yeah. is exactly consistent with what the market really and truly needs and how can we save taxpayer dollars in 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 doing migrations or or complete change out for systems all good points no doubt about it and and as you know it's it's continuous it uh, it, ne- it never ends that that uh, that process never ends and 
uh, but it's it 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 takes a concerted effort, as you know, it takes an organized effort to just make sure that you're always uh, current and continuously improving the process. And cybersecurity is another issue. Man. And and you talked about the the county level. Let me tell you this. We have a pretty good enterprise security plan for state government that we at least start we start talking to one another. We get out of the data silos or the agency silos when we're talking about uh, cybersecurity. Uh, we've got an opportunity uh, to to partner with the Air Force uh, down at Keysore Air Force Base as part of the cybersecurity program yep. that we're developing with Mississippi State University and the Air Force. Uh, that has an opportunity for us to provide a, an incredible training and collaborative opportunity with industry partners, national DOD partners, state agencies to provide the, the, the best of services for our locals. And we can plug our locals into some of the, um, some of the techniques that we use to prevent cybersecurity attacks or uh, to recover from cybersecurity right. attacks. Yep. Um, so we need it, it's we are going down to the local level um, and with some of the additional federal funds that have come in okay. through Homeland Security, I think we're going to be able to come up with some solutions for locals in the cybersecurity realm that they are desperately craving and demanding and I think that's something where the state government and the federal government will be able to help our well, That's good to hear and, and, and something to keep in mind there that I, I know you're aware of but for the benefit of our audience, for the most part all of them need the same Exactly. It's it's um, you. You just got to come up with what the best practice is and what the overall best solution is, it, rather than all eighty-two counties and all the cities and municipalities working independently trying to solve this problem. That's right. For the most part, they all need the same solution from a cybersecurity uh, perspective. Uh, you know, Hines County uh, had a breach, mm-hmm. had a ransomware problem a couple of months ago that went on for several weeks and. And, uh, I, and I pointed out on the show here, my concern is if, if that started happening on a widespread basis at the county level, around election time, we could be in a situation where we couldn't conduct elections because we can't get to the voter rolls. That's exactly right. And I want to remind you that um, we passed a bill last year that for the, that required, for the first time, state agencies to actually report a cyber attack yeah, or a ransomware attack to ITS. But we do not have that requirement on local school that's districts right. or don't. any type of local entities. And that's something that we really need to, to, to look at in the future. There was a lot of trepidation about uh, forcing jurisdictions yeah. to come up and ask for it. There's a lot of discussions on whether we need to outlaw the practice of paying for ransom where yeah. are paying ransom yeah. to get data and or networks networks back. Yep. Um, I don't know if that's the best public policy, but I do believe that there should be a third party, a third party within government that actually makes that decision to, to pay a ransomware or not uh, versus a local administrator. The victim, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, I would yep. agree because um, someone with uh, experience in that, mm-hmm. uh, more so than a lot of times, is the first event they've ever that's had right. like that. That's right. Uh, you know, I've I've written a piece and talked quite a bit about our public employees retirement system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to get some attention. It appears uh, in, it needs it in this coming. Uh, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of discussion over the years about that. Um, I'll, I'll first say that there's zero appetite to change any benefits yeah. for current retirees or current employees of the state. But I definitely believe that we're going to have to come up with a way uh, proactively for how we deal with future employees uh, and also how we deal with the payout of benefits. 
in the future. In other words, where, yeah, what the state contributes to it, what the what the employee and what the employer contributes to for incoming. That's, that's so-called right. new tier. I that's think right. that's on the table and likely to happen. Yeah, I look forward to that discussion yeah. and that debate. Yep. All right. We appreciate you coming on there, Scott. Thank uh, you. Senator Scott Delano has been our guest. And I guess we got inauguration the rest of the day. And then you guys will be back at the Capitol tomorrow, huh? Yes. You'll be gabbling in? Yep. Sounds good. Appreciate right. it. Winter good is here. You. Yeah, man. Coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays a little simple minds alive and kicking one of my favorite 80s videos and it's a great tune too appreciate that and we appreciate senator scott delano for uh joining us here on middays my daughter down at the secretary of state office where she works of course that's right across from the south steps of the capitol and uh, some of the staff there are outside, and they're taking in the festivities. It is cold and blustery uh, down there at the Capitol. So, and then there's a parade, right, later on this afternoon, um, one that features convertibles. That might be a little chilly, but that's the deal. And then, the, let's see, there's the inaugural ball this evening at the Mississippi Trademark. All that is part of the day on this day where the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, being sworn into office, inaugurated, and then it's off to the races, as you heard Senator Scott Delano discuss his plans, at least from his perspective, in the Mississippi State Senate. It's uh, It's been interesting to talk to lawmakers, as we have over the last week on this program, and Mr. Gallows as well, and but it's just a prelude, is it not, uh, Rhino? We'll, we're likely to see some uh, some folks start coming out on different sides of the issues, but that's way, the way it works. And they'll work through that, deliberate it, start seeing those bills dropping. I saw we got our first email this morning, right, from State Watch. That's a daily email we receive here. Uh, those of us that sign up for it at Super Talk that kind of provides us a quick summary of the day's schedule and uh, each day the legislative calendar and 
in bills that we're tracking. And that thing's going to start filling up here pretty soon with all those measures, as they say. Mike in Gulfport says, I don't want a government shutdown, but if it takes that to put a stop at the border, do it. And that's the question, Mike. This was in reference to some info I shared earlier about um, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson negotiating with Democrats on a spending package. And uh, at least a package at the highest levels with a few nuances in the highest levels, meaning the the military part of discretionary spending and the non-defense part. They've kind of arrived at a number there. And then there are some features of uh, within that, within those numbers that they're discussing, such as a decrease of $10 billion of funding for the IRS. But what I would say, uh, Mike, is that I don't think shutting the government down, let's say that they can't come to an agreement on this package. In fact, that is what would happen. And they are running out of time on that. I believe the the deadline, if I'm not mistaken, is the 16th of January. There are some bills due on the 16th to fund the government, and then some uh, a couple of weeks later in February. And so if they cannot reach an agreement, and they don't have a lot of time, they're just getting back in session, if I'm not mistaken, today up there in the House. So they're they're down to a week to get all this stuff negotiated, deliberated, and and uh, and signed. I don't think it's going to happen. I, it'd be it'd be a long shot at this point. Now anything could happen. Sure, they can all, always come up with these eleventh hour sorts of negotiations that ultimately get something done. But what I was going to say, Mike, is I don't think that would shut down the border. Um, I, I really don't. I, I don't know what's going to be required to get that done if you can't get the Democrats on board with something here because they still have the upper hand in terms of control of government. And I don't think that shutting down the government is going to like force them to say, oh, yeah, you're right, we see the error of our ways, we're all for shutting down the government. In fact, even the mayors in the cities, such as Chicago and New York, that have been appealing to the federal government for the influx of migrants into their cities and how it's overwhelming them. You know, none of them have come out and said, hey, we got to shut the, gov- uh, the, the border down there, Mr. President. All they've said is, give us more money to deal with the migrants. They haven't, said, they haven't suggested anything or implored the president to do anything that would stem the flow. No. In fact, their appeal has been, we'll take care of all these people, but you got to give us more money. I mean, that's what they've said. And they get to stay in the country until their court date, which some are scheduled as far out as 2037. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's a joke, honestly. But the Speaker of the House is certainly under a lot of pressure. Getting back to work, I just saw his face on the television here in the studio, which means they're, they're talking about exactly what we're talking about, which is they got uh, this week to push through a funding deal that would avoid a shutdown, and a lot of political pundits say that would likely hurt the the GOP in this election here, year more than it would the Democrats. So they they did come up with a, a plan, like we said, 
Uh, but if you dig into it, it um, it's not too terribly remarkable. $886 billion for defense, $704 billion for discretionary non-defense. Uh, $69 billion in non-defense uh, is, is essentially what that amounts to. So it, there's another side deal, I should say, the $69 billion. So it's really $773 in non-defense uh, because of this side deal, and nobody's talking about the details of that. The bottom line is, it's nothing. It's just a continuation of what we had. It's, it is, it's a package that is of the size and scope that got Kevin McCarthy removed from the Speaker's position in the House. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing. And by the way, and this is under this conservative savior he was thought to be, Mike Johnson. You remember, Rhino, everybody was hailing this guy. Finally, we got a real conservative in there. And, and this, is this, that, and the other is going to happen. And guess what's missing? Zero in this package to secure the border. Zero. What happened there, Representative Johnson, Speaker Johnson? This is the exact same deal that conservatives blew their top on last summer when they essentially fired Kevin McCarthy. We're right back to where we were four months later. It's amazing to me. So the Freedom Caucus in the House says this deal's dead. And I'm going to say again, if the goal is to balance the budget and start chip it away at the debt. You gotta find two trillion dollars. Two trillion. That means if you're spending package worth zero dollars, no defense, no the whole rest of government, you still got a three hundred billion dollar deficit. That's how serious the deal is. So this going around bragging about cutting ten billion from the eighty billion the House gave the IRS and the Inflation Reduction Act a couple of years ago when it was under Democrat control, that ain't jack squat. I mean, that's crazy to even point that out as something, as a huge victory. But that's where we are. And so, again, the conservatives are rebelling against this deal, this $1.6 trillion deal. And, and it, okay, it cuts, by the way, uh, the unspent COVID emergency funds and the $10 billion on the IRS. That's it from a cuts perspective. Woohoo! So what? So you got to wonder, can Speaker of the House Mike Johnson survive this deal? Are they going to start calling for his head? Who's next? Who wants to do it? They may not have any takers before it's all over with. But that's certainly where we are. President Biden, by the way, has a a wish list for a second term, if you will. Reviewed that over the weekend. No surprises. It's um, it's more taxes. It's more spending. It's price controls. It's more government. Uh, we'll dig in a little bit to the details when we return. And I'm going to share with you something that's missing in this plan. Something key. That should be in every presidential candidate's plan that's not in uh, Joe Biden's. That's on the other side of the break. From the Element Well Studio, you're listening to Middays.
with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone that's the great rick wakeman and yes roundabout no idea what the song means you have any idea what the lyrics mean <laughs> it's a yes song so no <laughs> okay uh, that's almost as good as iron butterfly in a gata de vida <laughs> uh you haven't watched the football game last night college uh bits and pieces i, I wasn't really tuned into it and and focused on it no it wasn't too exciting Honestly. I didn't figure it would be. Yeah. Michigan uh, pretty much romped them, the Huskies. They just kind of uh, to be expected. Yeah. I, uh, I'd say Washington is a little bit more of a single-dimensional team. Uh, pretty good offense. So-so on defense. Michigan a more complete team. But I mean, that's kind of par for the course for the Pac-12. Yeah. Which, now that they are no more. That is correct. Man, it is crazy, isn't it? What's going on in college football? That's uh, got gotten as intriguing and uh, replete with craziness as the political world. No doubt about it. We do have the final college football rankings. Ole Miss, number nine. Came in at number nine. Um, that's pretty good. I can't remember last time they finished the season in the top ten. Been a while, I think. On the ceasefire text line, let's see here. Does shutting the government down save money? It does not, because most of, if you think about where the government spends its money, you're just delaying those payments. Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, debt interest, that's 70% of spending. Then you look over at defense, that's consists. Mostly or to a great extent on um, salaries and pay, compensation, same thing in the non-defense spending. Of course, there are a lot of programs in there as well, veterans benefits and so forth. We don't, we don't essentially take a holiday from paying those bills. We just, we just delay it. It's kind of like you've got a bill sitting on your desk and it's due at a certain day. And you don't pay it. You haven't saved money. You still owe it. You're just going to pay it later. And that's kind of what what happened here. So it really doesn't achieve that. Yeah, we got the, uh, by the way, we got the transmitter back up, right, Rhino? So we are back in business there in the Hattiesburg area, WFMM. We appreciate your patience with us on that. We got a couple of notes on the ceasefire text line, including Mailman Clayton says, back on the air. Sounds excellent. Thanks. Appreciate that. Mailman, sorry about the inconvenience. Also, we're going to be sporting those new Journey shirts before long on the ceasefire tax line. That's right. February the 9th, down at the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum. We should also pass on to you that the university, formerly known as the Mississippi University for Women, is now known as uh, Mississippi Brightwell. Right? I think it still has to be okayed by the legislature, but okay. yeah, that's their proposed new name. Okay. 
I, I will say that um, I read the rationale, is how it is titled. I don't know if you read that or not, Mississippi Brightwell University. The well, university. I mean, they've been allowing men to enroll for years now, so the Mississippi University for Women, not really an apropos name anymore. Yeah. The, the question is, is, is this one that is going to be or has been received well by the public? Certainly uh, alumni is a starting point, students as well. Um, I, I read the rationale. I don't know if you did, uh, Rhino. But, I did not. Um, I, I wasn't sure that I totally uh, understood the various connections in those statements to to the name, but you know, anytime you're naming something, it's it's uh, you're rebranding something in particular. It's always interesting. Uh, you know what folks can come up with and how how they come up with that, but it's uh, I found it rather fascinating how they came up with this or, or kind of their rationale, I should say, for it. So they said we study for light to bless with light. That's the motto of the university, and that was considered inspiration. Some of the inspiration says. Uh, our motto epitomizes the enduring essence of a supportive, inclusive, and empowered community. Our distinguished faculty beacons of enlightenment and a wellspring of knowledge. So that's, I guess, kind of the fusion of those terms, if you think about it. Bright, well, wellspring. That was their rationale. Is written up. We shall see. We are stepping aside for a break. In fact, it's now noon here in the great state of Mississippi. That means Fox News, Super Talk News, headed your way. When we come back, it's Ashley Edwards. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays is live with you now. We welcome to the program Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, and, of course, a Super Talk Mississippi News column contributor. Ashley, always good to see you, sir. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on. Hey there, Gerard. Good to see you today. Well, we got Inauguration Day. Uh, upon us today. It's uh, it's a chilly and blustery day. Uh, my my daughter works for Secretary of State. She's been peeking outside the door there, just south of the the uh, the Capitol, and uh, observing the ceremonies. Folks are bundled up, but uh, overall, I think it's a good day. We are 
ushering in uh, our incumbent governor, uh, Tate Reeves. Uh, I haven't heard much about his message at, at this point, but I don't think we should expect anything too terribly uh, different than um, the message he was consistent in delivering during the campaign. Your thoughts? I think you're right about that. I mean, you think about the amount of time now that Tate Reeves has been an incumbent. Uh, of course, eight years as treasurer, eight years as lieutenant governor, now moving it into his second term as governor. And so Tate Reeves has had a heck of a political career in Mississippi uh, on par with a number of politicians throughout the state's history that have served in various roles. And, uh, you know, I think this is a great day for Tate Reeves. He has a lot of power in, in the Mississippi Republican Party. Um, we know these next four years are going to be interesting because we're going to see a lot of turnover in the statewide elected offices, a lot of people looking to move into new offices. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people look at the, the second four years of a governor's term and they sort of worry that there might be a little bit of a lame duck period there. I don't think that that's going to be the case with Tate Reeves at all. I think Tate Reeves is going to set an agenda for what he wants to see done the next four years. Uh, and certainly moving into the next election cycle, I think he's going to have a lot of influence on who's going to lead the fundraising apparatus statewide. Yeah. Tate Reeves is powerful, and he's here to stay for, for some time, I believe. Yeah, I mean, regardless of what you may think uh, about the governor, one thing you cannot uh, deny is that he is a, a very effective and prolific fundraiser. He, he understands. That's the name of the game. And uh, he's been really good at it. I mean, since he's been in politics, uh, it's it's been consistent. Uh, through those uh, two terms as treasurer, two terms as lieutenant governor, and now entering his second term as the governor. Of course, one interesting uh, dynamic that has changed a bit um, with respect to state government at the highest level is though we have an incumbent governor, an incumbent lieutenant governor, we've got a newly anointed uh, Speaker of the House in uh, Jason White, uh, of course, uh, succeeding uh, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. Uh, that's going to change that dynamic a little bit, I, I believe. Uh, Ash, what do you think? I think you're right about that. And you listen to what, you know, Jason White is saying. I mean, he certainly got his own platform, and he looks like he's going to be very aggressive. Uh, I'm excited about that because he's going to want to get a lot of things done over this next four years. And so, and Jason White, to me, has always been a guy who understands how to work with people to get things done. Uh, and so I think Jason White is actually setting himself up to be a, a very powerful speaker. Uh, you know, he has a lot of support within his House delegation, his ability to work with Delbert Hoseman in the Senate uh, to get things done in the legislature. I think, you know, it, it bodes well for the next four years. And it's going to be interesting to see how many times the speaker and the governor and the lieutenant governor are going to be able to get on the same page to see some things happen. Now, obviously, Gerard, we know there's some differences of opinion among those men on some some key issues. Uh, but the old adage holds true. You know, there's no such thing as a permanent friend or a permanent enemy in politics. <laughs> and over this next four years, it's going to be interesting to see how those three interact uh, on some of these issues that they're going to want to push push forward, and you're already starting to hear about some of those things. And, you know, to your point earlier, I have not been able to hear the governor's inauguration speech yet, but I think he's going to really signal in that some of what his important priorities are going to be, and it's going to be interesting to kind of compare 
and contrast that with what you see coming out of the legislative leadership. I agree, and and, and best I could tell, uh, just in, in hearing, seeing the governor speak uh, quite a bit during the campaign trail, uh, he always uh, stated that elimination of the income tax was his highest priority. I mean, it, he, he didn't say it specifically like that, but whenever he started talking about the issues, that was pretty much front and center. Um, and he, he felt like there was a path to get that done, and he was going to continue uh, to to lobby, to have, advocate for that. Absolutely. You know, Tate Reeves has got a reputation as a tax cutter. Uh, that's been important to him throughout, and he has never wavered in that regard. And so I think uh, you will see him continue to push for that. Um, I think there are going to be a lot of folks in Mississippi that are going to really like what they hear. I mean, that is a that is a popular piece of public policy. Um, and, you know, it's it's a little different when you're on Main Street and you're talking to folks who say, hey, would you like to have your income taxes uh, cut versus, you know, some of the revenue calculations and the horse trading that occurs <laughs> in the legislature. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, I think Tate is going to be standing on a real firm foundation there. And, again, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the legislature wants to go along with that. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I think – people do to their peril is is sort of underestimate Tate Reeves. And, you know, one of the reasons, Gerard, Tate Reeves has had two very difficult Democratic opponents in both of his elections. I mean, arguably, he has run against the best Democrats that have been put up for office in a generation in Jim Hood, statewide elected official, a lot of name recognition. And then, of course, Brandon Presley, uh, who, who ran a very tough race against him. And Tate was successful and prevailed in both of those uh, very tough races. And so, you know, Tate has proven he has what it takes to win, and I would not bet against him over this next four years, especially as it relates to his legislative platform. That's a good point. And uh, we should also point out that uh, he had a very difficult primary in 19 uh, with Bill Waller, who was yeah. well-funded, a popular figure as well and uh, made it a tough road uh, for the governor to just receive the nomination. That's right. I mean, you know, hey, politics is is about winning or losing elections. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they threw everything at Tate Reeves they had, <laughs> uh, and he still prevailed, came out victorious. And so uh, I like where Tate Reeves uh, is sitting now. If you're in the Tate Reeves camp, uh, you've got to think, man, he has taken everything they've thrown at him. And now he has an opportunity to make some uh, some real lasting change in Mississippi. And so, uh, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does on taxes and the way he pushes the legislature on that. Uh, you know, Tate Reeves has not been for Medicaid expansion, and you're starting to hear some signals from that coming out of legislative leadership. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to see how that discussion goes. Um, you know, usually the first year after a big election cycle, you don't see a lot of controversial issues. Issues and a lot of things, but 2024 sort, certainly looks like it's going uh, to be a lot different than what we've seen historically in that regard. And and I expect that we're going to see a lot of really important issues come out this year and probably last into the ensuing years from here on out. And um, you know, hey, this is going to for political watchers in Mississippi, this is going to be a very interesting year, no doubt about it. Let's turn our attention uh, briefly to the uh, the national political landscape. It's really starting to heat up, especially with the first uh, caucus uh, coming up in Iowa in less than a week uh, next Monday. And Rhino and I were looking at the weather and thinking about how that might affect uh, that event. 
Uh, it looks like it's going to be incredible up in Iowa. But we're watching these candidates, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and, of course, uh, former President Donald Trump. They're be- uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. They're starting to attack one another with more vigor and more frequency. Well, you know, what's fascinating to me, Gerard, is is watching the the careful steps that all of the Trump challenges are taking to try to hit him at one time and simultaneously <laughs> to try to show support for him. And yeah. that is indicative of, you know, where the Republican base in this country is. I mean, you know, Donald Trump has continued to lead in the polls. Um, I, I think it's unarguable at this point that Nikki Haley has a lot of the momentum uh, but these first two contests in, in New Hampshire and Iowa are going to be incredibly important for her uh, because, you know, certainly people are watching to see who comes in second, assuming that Trump wins both of those. Haley has probably a better shot uh, of, of the upset in New Hampshire. Uh, but, you know, if it's if she comes in a distant second or, or it's not really close, then that Trump momentum is going to continue. And you're probably going to see these challengers really start to falter. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of questions in terms of fundraising. How long can Ron DeSantis continue to afford to stay in this race if he does not perform well uh, in Iowa and certainly in New Hampshire? And Iowa is the state where DeSantis has kind of gone all in. And so in many ways, you know, the referendum on his candidacy is coming in Iowa. But, yeah. uh, you know, I agree. If, if I were a betting man today, I would tell you I think you're going to see a Trump versus Biden general election race. Now, 2024 could be full of surprises. I mean, there are legal maneuverings going on in the background. No telling what could happen, but uh, these these next two primaries are going to be really important. Appreciate it, Ashley. Thanks for joining us, man. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. The great Stevie Wonder. We are back in the Element Well studio. Appreciate Ashley Edwards for sharing his insights on the current situation here at the Capitol in Jackson and also in the on the national scene. I think we're going to see the race, the general election for president. I think it'll be set in March. I think that'll be it. I really do. I, and, it, you know, I've said before, I, I didn't think Joe Biden ultimately would be the nominee. I must admit, I'm changing my mind on that. I do think he will be, and here's why. I think as time has gone forward, progressed, and we get closer to the DNC convention, I think what's happening is that he is cutting all kinds of deals with these delegates. Remember their process. I just don't see how somebody else can show up and kind of undo those. Now, if if something should happen, God forbid, that he's rendered unable to run, that's different. But assuming that he's where he is today from a physical perspective, I think he's the nominee. 
And again, I say it's because these deals are, are being made with the delegates. I know there are some folks who have said Michelle Obama is going to parachute in. But I don't see how anybody could parachute in and, like I said, sort of overcome or unravel these deals that have already been cut. That's the way that system works. So I'm I'm saying it's Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I think it's a it's a redo of 2020. I really do. Um, and and that's what we're going to be talking about. That's that's the way I see it. Just my opinion. Certainly could be wrong in that respect. But I started thinking about every day these delegate deals are being cut, and he's the only one really in a position to do that. Um. Heck, I can't remember his name now. What's the other candidate officially, a rep, house rep? What the heck's his name? <laughs> it escapes me, which just tells you how much stroke he's got uh, running as a Democrat, challenging Joe Biden from somewhere in the upper Midwest, right? Dean Phillips. Dean Phillips, yeah. From Minnesota. There you go. That's it. So, I mean, is he making also any headway? got Marianne Williamson running against Biden. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, the, the folks you think would have a shot. Uh, Gavin Newsom, of course, as always is mentioned as, uh, is a top figure in that discussion. I mean, and he's kind of disappeared the last couple of weeks. Joe Biden, in the meantime, by the way, was, I believe he was back at the church, uh, or actually at a South Carolina black church in Charleston, where he was once again denouncing white supremacy and political violence. And he was, of course, uh, yeah, this is where the avowed white supremacist Dylan Roof gunned down the parishioners, members of the congregation there. It is the Mother Emanuel AME Church. I wasn't sure. I wanted to make sure before I stated that, but that is the case. And so, gosh, you know, when you're running as an incumbent, shouldn't you be focused on your accomplishments and appealing to voters? Well, hey, that's why he's got all the media coming to visit him in his home instead of the White House. So are you seeing reports that they're literally, like, training the media on on how to report on his campaign? Yep. I thought that's what they did in Russia and China and places like that, where there was no clear line of demarcation between those who were elected and the press. What happened to that? Isn't that sort of communist? <laughs> I think so. But that that is true. There, there are numerous reports indicating they are literally giving them like tutorials, like training, a package. Here's how to report. And essentially, you're going to be our tool. That's not how it's supposed to work. And it, that is disturbing. It's Honestly, it's disgraceful. Well, it's kind of like NIL and college football and college sports in general. You had a version of that happening under the table that nobody acknowledged forever. That's true. And then NIL comes along, and now it's all only up and up. You can just do it out in the open. Same thing with the media and the Democrats on the left. That's true. For years. 
That's true. All you've had is mainstream media parroting Democrat talking points and covering their hind ends anytime they did anything wrong. But nobody would acknowledge it, especially from the media. Uh, but now they don't fear anything. So they're just going to come out and say it. Yeah, we're going to visit him. He's telling us what to do. That's a good point. It's out in the open, and we don't seem to care. Or, you know, it's it's almost accepted. Well, uh, the only point I wanted to pass on was that in this speech, it, 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 I, re- I read, and I was going to share some of the some of the excerpts, but honestly, it, it's it was 20 minutes of of attacking Trump and warning that if he gets elected, you know, that world comes to an end. I mean, it's fear-mongering at its best. There's a whole lot of orange man bad, MAGA extremists, pat me on the back for being an activist when I've already stated in previous conversations that I was never an activist. Look at me, look at me. I've spent more time in this church than you have. He actually, That's pretty much a summation of what he had to say. He crazy crazily said exactly what you're saying once again i'm just i'm kind of looking for it uh that the words he used but he basically said that he was uh, a civil rights activist that something to the effect i spent more time uh, in the church than the black people did that belonged to the church where he says that he began his civil rights activism. Yeah, he said, I spent more time in Bethel AME than black people did. That's a complete lie. It's just a fabrication out of whole cloth. It's not even remotely close. And it's this this idea that these people think that, based on the audience, they got to somehow like empathize with them. This is their idea of empathy is lie about it. You know, it's one thing to empathize with people genuinely. But it's another to freaking lie about it. It's, it's, what did uh, Hillary Clinton say? I like hot sauce or something crazy. And it's Barack Obama changing his accent when he was in the South. It's that kind of crap that comes across so phony, because of course it is. And here's Joe Biden, and of course he, he dwelled on white supremacy. Everything's about, you know, I'm your champion to fight back white supremacy. But yet, this guy that this Dylan guy that played shoot him up, no doubt he said it. I'm a white supremacist. He's a he's a heinous human. There's no doubt about that. But it's another situation where you're trying to use this one figure to represent an entire race, and you've refused to acknowledge or or recognize situations where there's enormous racial harmony and and progress off the chart that's been made in this country, in this state, which is often thought by out-of-staters to kind of be the epicenter for, for um, racism. But uh, is this a winning strategy just to focus on white supremacy? I mean, are, are polls showing that most voters say, yeah, the number one concern I have is white supremacy? I don't think so. And here's the thing, and this is what he knows and why he's doing all this crap. He's losing the support. Poll after poll now shows he's losing his support from uh, black voters and Hispanic voters. It's like a significant decrease from where it was. And you can't win as a Democrat without their support. Gee, I wonder if it's got anything to do with wide-ass open borders, folks coming in, causing pain for them in their schools, their communities. 
uh, the price of everything haven't gone up, like it or not, you get tagged for that. And here's the thing I started thinking about right now. When these guys start, and I'm guilty of it, start spouting off all these various statistics, inflation, this and that and the other, you know what? People really don't care. What they want, what they know is, hey, the price of what I'm buying in the grocery store is more than it was. That's what, but they don't want to know about all the inflation numbers and all that kind of crap. The price of gas is more than what I was paying for it. That's what they focus on. And rightfully so. They shouldn't have to concern themselves with, you know, all the crap that economists and, and me are obsessed with. They shouldn't. They should just, uh, you know, just deal with what their real lived experience, as the left likes to tell us, is. But he's he's gone to totally attacking Donald Trump and denouncing the, quote, poison of white supremacy and not talking about his record because his record sucks. And maybe his his handlers uh, running his campaign are telling him, don't don't focus on that. Well, in the meantime, Mr. Trump, his, his likely opponent, is. And is focusing on his positive record, which he should, and his vision. We're stepping aside for a break. We got tickets to give away. We're in the Element Well studio coming right back. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. I am uh, I'm watching the New York governor touting affordability in New York in her state of the state speech and is also, of course, uh, informing the state that they are cash strapped. Wow, you don't say. You got ridiculously high taxes and you still cannot make ends meet because you spend it all in many ways that you shouldn't be, honestly. Well, uh, let's see. We got some tickets to give away. You want to go ahead and get that done here, Rhino? Oh, yeah. We can do that because we've got ZZ Top, the legendary Texas rock band, are going to be live at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon on March the 20th. Tickets for the show are going on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. at the Brandon Amphitheater box office. Or you can log on to Ticketmaster.com. But now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see ZZ Top before you can even buy the tickets. All you got to do is be the 17th person to text into the C Spire text line. That's 601-879-4395. Be the 17th person to text in the phrase LaGrange. And you'll win a pair of tickets to see ZZ Top at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon on March the 20th. Yep. There you go, LaGrange. Uh, also, Mississippi Blood Services informs that they are in desperate need of O negative, O positive, B negative, B positive, A negative. Of course, uh, they'll take anything. But these, uh, those types in particular, Mississippi Blood Services, 
has informed or or in critical need. So we want to pass that on. O negative and positive. B negative and B positive. A negative. If you are A positive or A B positive, still come donate platelets are needed as well. All right, so we got uh, LaGrange flowing in there on the ceasefire text line. J.R. in Starkville says, if Nixon had been a Democrat, he would have never been in trouble for the Watergate cover-up. You know, I, I'm not sure, J.R. I, I, I just think that expectations and standards have changed dramatically. I mean, they've been lowered. We almost expect just corruption in government, and we shouldn't. We should never, ever accept it and allow it, and condone it, and and let it occur without consequences. Uh, and we got a president who is uh, under investigation for possible impeachment. We got a Secretary of Defense now is being discussed in the House as uh, one that might be subject to impeachment. We got a Secretary of Homeland Security who... I think most people with eyes can see is abdicating his responsibilities, which include securing the border with the mass of humanity crossing over on a daily basis. It's totally insane. I will point out that Donald Trump, he offered to the Democrats a deal to get a a wall that would uh, extend the entire length of the border. I mean, there are some assets in place that never got used to build the wall, but they're not enough to complete it all the way across the entire length of the border. He offered a deal to grant amnesty to DACA, the Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals is what that stands for, the folks that just came here as children that are not citizens, but they came with their parents, and uh, they're they're in a special category. He offered a deal to give them a path to legal citizenship if they just fund the wall. And the Democrats wouldn't do it. They rejected it. Interesting. Couldn't couldn't get it done. Um, and we told you earlier that the the president says he hopes the economy crashes because he don't want it. He, he doesn't want to be Herbert Hoover. He hopes it happens before he gets in, and it's too late, so to speak. Uh, DeSantis has been critical, the governor from the great state of Florida, of the former president. He said that he would deal with birthright citizenship, that President Trump didn't sign the executive order on that. He said he'd get Obamacare appealed. That didn't happen. He saddles us with Anthony Fauci, and I'm shutting down our economy and mandating vaccines and masks. Eight trillion in debt. Governor DeSantis fought all that. He wants that to know, wants folks to know. So, again, they're, they're trying to, to strike a contrast between these other candidates themselves and, uh, and the president. I will say something we've been talking about, Rhino, is want to see more talk about making the Trump tax cuts permanent and how that's going to be a big war uh, next year in the Congress. The former president did say over the weekend, yes, he does intend to push for making permanent the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the, the Jobs Act, pardon me, the individual provisions scheduled to expire at the end of 25. Pleased to see him come out and say that. On the other hand, Ron DeSantis is talking about 
abolition of the IRS and converting to a flat tax. This is something he actually signed on to when he was a member of the Congress, and of course it got nowhere. I don't think it goes anywhere ever, honestly. And you get into the nuances of it and see this prebate structure that's part of that. That's not real popular. Um, And that was tried. That was something that Kevin McCarthy had to agree to at least take up in the House in exchange for votes to get him to the uh, Speaker's podium, and it it didn't go anywhere. But I am pleased to see the former president say, yeah, I want to make the Trump tax cuts. But I I was talking about the... um, the Biden second agenda, which is cracking down on junk fees. Oh, yeah, that's what everybody's talking about. Uh, codifying Roe v. Wade. This isn't going away. I mean, the, the the minute, if ever, the Democrats get the stars aligned in the House, the Senate, and the White House, bet your bottom dollar Roe v. Wade will be codified. They will waste no time in passing a law. Now, that requires 60 votes in the Senate which at this point appears is never likely to happen in our lifetime, at least, that one party would command 60% of the senior chamber. But that's what would be required. So he is pushing that. And then he's, he's his tax plans, the billionaire minimum income tax, and you've got to pay tax on your income if you've got more than $100 million in assets. Even if it's just on paper and you produce no cash, your stock value went up, or, or of, uh, holdings, your value of holdings such as in stocks went up. Sorry, you got to pay more money. You could have real estate, it gets appraised, and it went up in value. you got to pay taxes, even though you didn't sell it and get any cash for it. So he's got that going on uh, still. He's campaigning on that. Um. But but those pretty much are consistent with the things he's wanted to do. He, of course, he wants the child tax credits. He wants uh, more price controls on drugs. And I said earlier that there's one thing that's glaringly missing in his second-term wish list, and it's this. There's nothing pro-growth. There's just never any attention paid by the left to the prospect of growing economically. They love to point to jobs because they they get they feel like they get power out of that, especially good-paying union jobs. It's always that. But there's nothing pro-growth. Nothing. Price controls aren't pro-growth. Taxing billionaires is not pro-growth. Child tax credits is not pro-growth. Price controls, at a minimum, like we said, are certainly not. They've got some other proposals as well that inserts more government into health care. He also wants free pre-kindergarten, subsidized child care, paid family and medical leave, expanded care for elderly and disabled Americans. So it's all about just more largesse, more benefits, more taxes, and they don't really have any plan for the taxes. They just they they think it sounds good because it's just punitive. It's not like, well, we've got a program we'd like to fund. We just got to get more money to fund it, raise more revenue. No, it's just we got to tax those billionaires, those successful people in society. We got to tax them. Not that it matters whether or not they pay any taxes because you spend whatever the hell you want to no matter what. And he also, of course, wants to change the country's gun laws, including an assault weapons ban, 
and universal background checks. I mean, that's his agenda. But again, where in that agenda that I just shared is there any policy that's pro-growth that would stimulate investment and uh, scaling of the economy? There's nothing in there. And that is one thing that I will, I will give to our governor, Tate Reeves, is that he, he has been talking a lot. I'm looking at some stuff from his speech about how do we accelerate our economy? How do we prepare our workforce for the jobs of the future? It sees growing the state's economy as a way to improve the quality of life in the state. I totally agree. That's the path. Always is. We're stepping aside for a break. We got the final segment on middays on the other side. We're in the Element Well studio. Beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Middays. All right, what about the winner for the uh, ZZ Top tickets? Oh, yeah, we got a winner, and I had a chance to count up all the different entries. I'm going to have to pick a bigger number for the next giveaway because we had (laughs) over 150 entries. Wow, that's awesome. But, yeah, lucky number 17 was Ricky in Aberdeen. Okay, Ricky in Aberdeen. How about that? All right, very cool. Appreciate that. Uh, Thompson Greenwood wants to know how much our, uh, our Ole Miss's, uh, five-star kicker is receiving. I don't know. Hadn't seen the details of that. Incredible. He does have a rather unique last name. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, and I'm quite sure it will be driving commentators crazy next year when he is on the field. Um... Speaking of the football game last night, which featured, of course, the University of Michigan Wolverines, we've talked about how much they have uh, really taken up the mantle of DEI. Comes now a report exposing just how extensive the DEI efforts are at the University of Michigan. That's a big university. One of the biggest in the country. 500 jobs is what the report says. Dedicated to DEI at a payroll cost of $30 million. $30 million bucks. What could you do with $30 million other than essentially light a match to it by paying these people? You could pay for room, board, tuition, and books for all. Oh, 1,500 to 2,000 students at the university? At least. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are core values at the University of Michigan. How many times do you ever see that exact statement? They're core values. It's so overused. It doesn't have any credibility anymore. 
As such, there is not a specific budget set aside for diversity outreach and recruitment. That is according to Colleen Mastany, university spokesperson. Most employees working on DEI are not solely dedicated to DEI efforts, but do so in addition to their roles and responsibilities. They're appropriate in size and scope. They say they have 100,000 students and employees, including their three campuses, their academic medical center. Unbelievable. The university did announce that it employs at least 241 paid staff members whose main responsibility, their main duties, are to provide DEI programming and services. What is that exactly? Unbelievable. They have an ambitious five-year DEI plan, uh, a recently revised one. It's now Plan 2.0, by the way. This is for the university's 19 academic schools and colleges and its 32 academic units. They, Every single one of them is required to publish and implement a DEI plan. Unbelievable. That includes the libraries, the museum, the botanical gardens, because you got to have plant equity, I guess. This is just turning this country upside down. When do, how do we get back to just plain old merit? When people have had enough and tell these idiots to just sit down and shut up or tired of your crap. I sure hope so. The average salary for someone who works in DEI at the University of Michigan, $96,400, including benefits. 144 DEI employees at the university receive a total compensation of more than $100,000. Good work if you can get it, I guess, huh? It's just unbelievable. Got to do something with that useless gender and cultural studies degree. That's exactly right. I mean, what else are you going to do with it? You learned absolutely nothing of value or use to anyone outside of the grievance cottage industry. That's true. And it's exactly what it is, the grievance industry. Uh, We should point out, though, that a plan to remove the statue of William Penn got a lot of backlash This is uh, from the National Park Service. The Park Service has uh, said they are retracting this plan. It was only out there about a week, I mean, when it became a thing. So apparently people complain about William Penn. Uh, And this is from like the 1600s, I think, right, is when uh, William Penn was around walking the earth. Of course, I mean, he's the, the namesake for Pennsylvania. Yeah, for the state. They were going to remove him. I'm sure he did something <laughs> that aggrieved them, right? Oh, gosh. He's a mean, evil man to the historically illiterate. <laughs> That's exactly right. Which is the majority of the left. I guess what's next? Change the name of the state, right? To keep following through with it. But the Biden administration pulled back. Interesting. Folks, we're out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We are back in the Element Well studio tomorrow. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.